to the um, uh, section where Jesus shares the Lord's Prayer. So it's an introduction to uh, prayer. And if, uh, well, let me just read it and we'll continue on. It says, And when you pray, Jesus says, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And so this is a kingdom perspective. Remember last week we introduced this, this um, next uh, um, sequence. Uh, there's a, it's got, Jesus is explaining the kingdom perspective of religious acts. The word is really righteousness. He uh, um, compared to hypocritical or pagan acts. Chapter 5 focused on lifestyle behaviors like lust and adultery, hate and murder, oath and revenge. Went through that whole list describing what kingdom righteousness was. Now he extends beyond that and begins to talk about religious acts or religious duties. And um, it's kind of hard because we, we often use the term religious in a derogatory sense, as though you know Christianity is not a religion. But we are a religion, and we do have things that we do because of our religion. And so religious duties are intentional acts motivated out of our belief system. So the fact that you're all here this morning, you're, you're doing a religious act, you're going to church. And, and, and uh, last week we talked about charitable giving was part of the actions that are uh, done. They're done intentionally as an act that demonstrates our belief system. <clears throat> and so now Jesus is turning. First, he looked at, uh, he d- addressed uh, religious or righteous acts in general. And then he, he's giving the example of charitable uh, giving. And then today he's, he's turning his attention to prayer. And it's interesting, the, the three that he chose was, was uh, giving, prayer, and fasting. And we'll talk about fasting later. Um, first he starts, though, with, with two negative examples in this passage about how not to pray. And we're going to look at those first. Uh, in the ESV it says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have their own reward. <clears throat> in the message, it puts it this way, <clears throat> When you come before God, don't turn that into a theatrical production either. All these people making a regular show out of their prayer, hoping for stardom, do you think God sits in a box seat? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love how you have. So the word hypocrite just simply means actor, and their motivation was to be seen by others. Uh, and just like charitable giving and all religious duties or, or all religious acts, the motivation should never be to draw attention to yourself. And again, I, I don't <clears throat> I don't see this much uh, with Christians. I know there is a struggle uh, with some people, and I'm not saying that's totally absent. I mean, we struggle with this, of, of putting on a show in our prayer life. Um, but it's, it's the example of standing in a corner and praying. That just doesn't translate into our, our culture. But sometimes I wonder when, when uh, you know, big, long, uh, religious-sounding prayers, uh, and you just question, I wonder what their prayer life is in private. 
And it, what I actually find is most Christians are just scared to death of praying out loud, <laughs> even in private. <laughs> and we need to break through that. <clears throat> uh, but Jesus is saying, you know, if you're, if you're praying just to put on a show, then, that, then you've already gotten your reward. You know, if that was the motivation, uh, you've, uh, the word reward literally means pay. Uh, or payment that wages earned. So you've gotten what you've come to get. Uh, and, uh, and so if that was the motivation, you've already got what, you, uh, what you've come to get. There's nothing more that you can expect. Uh, and that's something we are to avoid. Simply avoid doing it for show, trying to make it sound, um, you know, religious sound, important. You just don't have to be that way with God. You just, just be real. Uh, and then the second, we're going to skip the middle part and then go back to that because that's the positive example. The second negative example is a little further in verse 7 and the beginning of verse 8. He says, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. All right? And again, in the message, it says this way, the world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. And so the message here kind of, uh, you know, that I see even in Christianity where, where there seems to be uh, techniques and books written and, uh, and ideas, you know, just do this and you'll get this result. But that's not how God works. Uh, and we don't want to fall for that kind of negative examples. But Jesus is addressing the Gentiles. And um, uh, what that word means, if you're not familiar, it, it's basically anyone that wasn't a Jew. All right? So in the, in the first century, in Jesus' uh, worldview of the people that he was uh, preaching to and the crowd that was hearing his words, there were two types of people there were Jews, and then there were the rest of the world, the Gentiles. And that had been established throughout the whole Old Testament intentionally. Um, and so he's referring to all other ethnicities, all other religions, pagans, alien people who are alienated to the worship of the true God or heathenism, uh, which is just non-religious, completely uh, disconnected, whether it be other religions or uh, no religion whatsoever. It's interesting, I find, that Jesus wasn't shy about addressing or pointing out both the hypocrites and the Gentiles or the heathens. All right? He didn't have a problem saying, this is the way they pray, and you're not to pray that way. Followers of Christ are not to live that way or not to demonstrate uh, their faith in, in, in that, those examples. So it, uh, he wasn't shy about uh, identifying people who are living contrary to the kingdom and using those as, as, as an example. And that doesn't make Jesus less loving or like He was calling them names, right? Uh, in any way. <clears throat> he was speaking truth in love. And there were, in the crowd listening to Him, hypocrites and Gentiles, right? Though they may have been offended if they heard it wrongfully, but if they understood that Jesus' motivation was truth in love, He was communicating to them uh, because He loved them, 
Right? Hypocritical and heathen practices are destructive. So it's, it's, it's not loving to, to wash over that. It's more loving to actually call those out. Out of love for people who are caught in uh, lifestyle practices that are hypocritical or paganist. Kingdom living requires us to come out of those ungodly lifestyles and into a lifestyle characterized by intimacy with our Heavenly Father. And in this uh, context, he's talking about intimacy in, in our prayer lives. So, <clears throat> furthermore, this passage is not a... Pro- this is actually a quote from a commentary. It says, this is not a prohibition either of repetition in prayer. And so some translations uh, translate that vain repetitions. Um, but it's kind of uh, pushing it. Actually, this commentator says it's, it's unwarranted to translate it that way. Jesus actually repeated himself in prayer. And I looked up that reference in Matthew 26. And so in the Garden of Gethsemane, it actually says he went back and prayed three times saying the same words. It actually says it in Scripture that he repeated the same words. So it's not a, a forbidding of repeti- repeating the same words uh, or a set form of prayer because he's just about to introduce the Lord's Prayer that Christians have prayed as a form of prayer for thousands of years. So it's not uh, uh, um, uh, prohibiting either of those, but rather of thoughtless mechanical prayer. It's not many words that God responds to, but an attitude of prayerful dependence. And another uh, quote from a resource, the Life Application Bible, says, repeating the same words over and over like a magic incantation is no way to ensure that God will hear your prayer. And this is something that I think Christians fall into, or I can, I, I got nailed myself years ago, just in falling into uh, an attitude that I think if I just say the right words, and if I say them often enough, God will have to do something in it. And you start to think of prayer like a, like a magic incantation, like a magic spell. And prayer is not witchcraft. <laughs> All right? It's not like you can say these certain words and something has to happen. It's not manipulating spiritual things or manipulating circumstances through your words. It's communion with a person whose name is Father and the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus. So it's not wrong to come to God many times with the same request. Jesus encouraged persistent prayer. You can keep praying about the same thing until you have an answer. Jesus commands that and encourages it. But he condemns shallow repetition of words that are not offered with sincerity, with a sincere heart. We can never pray too much if our prayers are honest and sincere. So, as I say in this Life Application Bible, before you start to pray, make sure you mean what you say. What I like to do is continually check your motive. Continually check that you're not just just repeating something because you got to pray but that you're, you're investing your heart and soul into it. You know, prayer is so vital to a Christian's life. And I, I wonder at times how much people actually pray. You know, they do studies, and it says that um, uh, most studies say that 90, 95% of Americans pray every day. But, you know, there's a difference between, like, a, you know, drive-by prayer. <laughs> You know, oh God, help me get through this. You know, God, I lost my keys. 
and intentionally taking time to commune with the Father. All right? Uh, so we can, it's okay to pray while you're driving. I do that almost all, every time I drive. Right? But you need to take time where you're not doing anything else except praying. Does that make sense? It's just like communicating with your spouse. You know, if you only communicate your, with your spouse when you're actively doing something with them, and hopefully you do stuff with your spouse. But if it's like, hey, get the kids, you got the car seat, you got, the, you got the, this, you got that, you got that, get in the car, is the supper ready, you know, what do we need from the grocery store? That's all like necessary communication. And that's important in a marriage. But if that's all you have, you're not going to have a happy marriage. You need to take time just to say, hey, honey, how was your day? Oh, thank you. You look nice too. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> and were you just talking about you and her? And that, you know, so that's communion, and it's so vitally important. And if you don't have that, you're not you're not living a kingdom life. Uh, ESB. Now, so this is a positive example. Uh, verse uh, six and and the second part of verse eight. It says, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Again, an emphasis on the reward. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Alright, and then the message, here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there. This is a sentence I really like. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. Wow, what a great description of prayer. Getting, setting apart time where you can just be there with God as simply and as honestly. And I, I see this in, in people's life, even in mine, I'm tempted to, to go to God and try to make my case. <laughs> you know, this is this. And sometimes it's actually right to do that. In the Psalms, we see examples of. Of, of the psalmist saying, God, you know, because of your word, you know, defend your word. And I, 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 I use God's word and I bring it to him. And I said, God, you have to fulfill your word. I want to see this happen because of your word. But that's a different form of prayer. There's just a time of getting before God and being yourself and being simple. <clears throat> it says the focus will shift from you to God and you will begin to sense his grace. Amen. Yeah. And so that's, that's, a, that's kingdom prayer. Uh, this is your father you're dealing with. He knows better than you what you need. So you're going to someone who already knows what you need. And so the closet, um, the disciple by contrast, is to pray in the storeroom. Actually, the word translated closet can be translated storeroom. It was an inner room, secluded. Most often, it was a specific room in the house. So when Jesus said this word, everyone in the audience knew what he was talking about a picture came in their mind of this inner room usually they were windowless the possibly the only lockable door in the whole house was this room um, and thus it was a proverbial uh, it was used proverbial for a secret place <clears throat> so the reason it had a lock on it is because that's where they would keep their stuff all right it was where they would store their food, their uh, precious belongings, whatever cash or valuables they had, it would be kept in this storeroom or closet. And so think of your prayer closet as a storeroom, all right? The place where valuables are kept, 
where food is stored, where you go to get what you need. All right? Not, you know, I've always thought in the past of a prayer closet. You know what comes to mind is, you know, I don't know, you don't want to look in the closets in our house. Okay? Because it's not the stuff we need. It's the stuff that we need to throw away. <laughs> we haven't got around to yet. I don't think I could get in any of our closets. <laughs> you know, that or the typical picture that comes to mind is this dark, dusty place that's empty and maybe some dust bunnies in the corner. Um, and it's not a place that's empty. Right? The storeroom is a place that actually is full of valuable stuff. A place of abundance. And so Jesus intentionally chose this to, to get our understanding that prayer is to be uh, private, that we need to have this intimate relationship. But, but the idea of storeroom is, hey, this is, the, this is where you go to get stuff. Yeah. This is where you go to get stuff. Prayer is where you go to get what you need. It's where you keep what you value the most. All right? And think of that in a spiritual application. Pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. All Christians should have a secret life. In fact, you should be having a secret, intimate affair. I thought that would generate a response, Mark. Everyone should have a secret life. You're called to have a secret life. Jesus calls you to have a secret life. But then He tells us what that secret life is. It's that secret life should be an intimate relationship with the Father. All right? Something that goes on in secret. Because the Father who sees, who is in secret, listen to this, listen to these words. We, we hear this so often that we don't think about it. The Father who is in secret, He's a secret agent. And he sees in secret. <clears throat> what does that mean? All right? This is one, ad, one way to see this. Jesus is saying that whoever we are or whatever we do in public is meaningless if it's not consistent with what's going on in our secret life. Okay? So regardless of how you present yourself publicly or when you're at church, when you're around Christians, or when you're around people that you want to impress... That means nothing to God if it's not consistent with how you are when there's nobody looking. Because at that point, God's looking. He sees that. You want to find God? Then you need to find Him in the secret places of your life. Why? Because God is in secret. He's in the secret. That's where He lives. All right. And so if you want to find God... You have to find Him in the secret place. Does that make any sense? Okay. In your secret places. So God dwells in the secret place. Now, if your secret place is actually filled with corrupt stuff, ungodly stuff, destructive behaviors, addictions, pornography, deceit, um, self-obsession, um, lies, bitterness, anger, um, Pettiness. I mean, fill in the blank. Uh, laziness. Idleness. Uh, you know, what, what fills all the minutes of your day? 
when nobody's, when you're not demanded to do in front of somebody looking. That's where God dwells. And if, if, if your secret place is filled with that stuff, that's where you need to meet God first. Right? Don't expect to have some giant experience in a public setting or just in a, and you may experience something in a, in a worship setting or a public setting just because you're picking up on what, what, what has actually been brought there because other people's secret places have been hosting His presence. Does that make sense? Wow. So you can come into a place like this and there's, there's, because there's other people that have been hosting Him personally and you can feel something, experience something, oh, that's great, and then you go home and it's not the same. Well, it's not the same because maybe your secret place, you haven't hosted Him. Does that make sense? You need, you need to invite God into that. Why? Because that's where He dwells. Because that's the most important place. And when you invite God into that secret place, regardless of what's in there, you, don't, you can't get that cleaned up and then have Him come over. Because He's the cleaning service. Alright? Yeah. You, it's, it's, that's why you need to invite... He's already there. Let me just give you a hint. He's already there. All you have to do is invite Him into it. Acknowledge Him there. And say, God, I want You to be most important here. And I want You to help remove all of this other stuff uh, from that secret place so that, it's whole, so that secret place becomes a holy place where He is, is able to be manifest and you're able to interact with Him. Then you'll begin to see that outwardly. Then you'll get the reward Jesus talks about. But it's meaningless to try to keep God on the outside and keep all the hypocritical, empty, or heathen, paganish stuff on the inside. Your Father uh, knows what you need before you ask Him. In verse 8, or in the message, this is your Father you're dealing with. And He knows better than you what you need. Okay, So this applies both to when we, when we act hypocritical or when we end up just saying prayers uh, as though we just hope that they'll work with God in a paganish kind of way. Jesus is communicating that we're, uh, or is reminding us that we're communicating, prayer is communicating with a God that knows everything. So prayer isn't for God's sake. He, he doesn't need to be informed of your condition or your circumstance. You never have to go to God to tell Him what's happening. Prayer is for our sake. All right? What it does is it roots our life, and especially that secret uh, part of our life, in our relationship with Him. All right? And communication, as I talked about marriage earlier, and shared experience is the essence of any relationship. So see prayer not as a means of getting something. Even if it's getting you know, emotional freedom or getting forgiveness or getting uh, a new car or whatever, but as a means of sharing your life and the most intimate part of your life. All right? And then you'll be able to discover this reward that Jesus is talking about. So <clears throat> it's a secret uh, dialogue uh, that when we come to, the, to God, we're coming to our Father. And there's a real emphasis. Jesus begins in this portion and continues in the Lord's Prayer that we're talking to our Father, that we're, we address God as our, as our Father, and not a distant God that's almighty and scary, but one who knows, one that we trust, uh, that it's, 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 it's founded on our relationship with Him as children, and He's our Heavenly Father. Okay? <clears throat> Let's see. So this verse can be applied, uh, you know, literally, in that, you know what, you should find a place where you can be alone. 
Whether it's a closet or not, it doesn't matter. But where you can have no distractions and daily, at least once a day. Can we all say once a day? Once a day. day. Mark says, I don't know. Get the laser beam from the pulpit. (laughs) Come on. If this is the most important relationship in eternity, you can take, and it's different for different people, a few minutes. And, and, the, and the best way to grow in your prayer life is, is to schedule times where, you know, if you've never done 30 minutes of prayer where you've done nothing but pray for 30 minutes, do 30 minutes, and then three minutes will be a lot easier. Yeah. Right? If you've never done an hour, do an hour, and then 30 minutes will be a lot easier. Okay? If you've never prayed for 12 hours straight, do it. You can do it. You can do it. I've done it. You set aside a whole time. You go to a special place where nobody can interrupt you and you do nothing but commune with God and His Word for 12 hours. And then praying for an hour is easy. Alright? And you can just keep going up the scale. Alright? 24 hours, 3 days, 5 days. Now, you know, those happen once every few years. But you can do it. And in do, by doing that, then you make those shorter prayers. It's almost like you don't have enough time. Right? It's, not, it's not hard to fill a half hour of prayer if you've learned how to fill 12 hours of prayer. It's like, wow. And it also enriches your daily uh, prayer. And, and it, it is to be uh, applied figuratively by developing a secret place where you carry everything to God in prayer. You're sharing every minute, every experience uh, with your father. And this is what I really want you to take home from this message is that your father is with you in the secret place all the time, whether you're in Myers, whether you're at work, whether you're at church. Share those moments with him. Bring him into the conversation. All right? uh, and if you don't think that's possible, just think, we already carry on a conversation with ourselves, don't we? Most people talk to themselves constantly. Or they're talking to somebody else in their mind. Somebody that they have a beef with. They're arguing with their spouse. Their spouse isn't even there. Right? They're talking to their boss. They're complaining. You know, we have this ability, innate ability to carry on mental dialogue. And unfortunately, we often use that in a destructive way. Guess what? Maybe that was designed so that we have this capacity to carry on a conversation inwardly with the Father and the Holy Spirit, and Jesus. That's actually part of our, uh, our ability to pray without ceasing, as it says in, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. We can actually do that. So what I mean by that is every couple of... Just all the time, just figure out ways like, oh God, that was interesting. What just happened there? You know, and... and Father, okay, here I'm. I got to deal with this situation. I just ask your grace on it. You don't have to say it out loud. You can pray it thoughtfully. And you're you're involving your Father in your day-to-day activities, and that's inviting Him into the secret place. And that makes that secret place holy, but it also makes everything you do sacred. And that's what prayer is about. Adam has some announcements. Aaron has some announcements. Thank you. Pastor Cameron, appreciate it. Good word. Um, I, I love this message. Um, and I can speak from experience that 
Finding time for the secret place will transform every aspect of your life. Uh, Henry Nouwen said, solitude is the furnace of transformation. When you get alone, it changes everything about your life. So, good word. Um, I do have a few announcements this morning.